Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. Female orgasm, I would estimate that somewhere around 25 to 30% of women have never had an orgasm, but that's a very, very rough estimate just based on my own personal experiences. And with performance anxiety for men, that's another thing that all men are going to experience at one time or another. So it might not be something that is an ongoing issue, but they're going to have at least one experience of their body not doing what they want it to. Hey everybody, it's Ash here. Another amazing episode this week on the U-Turn Podcast. We are actually going to switch it up. I know that every single month you hear from a love expert and I thought, you know what, let's take things deeper, pun intended, and bring on a sex expert. So I'm gonna have Vanessa Marin here. She is a sex therapist who helps individuals and couples learn to value their own pleasure. And I thought, who better to talk to than Vanessa about how to keep the spark alive? in your relationships because I know there's so many people out there who end their relationship because sex is something that is one of the first things to go and it sometimes feels like an indicator that you need to part ways. And so, Vanessa, there's so much for us to talk about. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on. Yeah, this is such a good topic and, you know, like I was telling you before we started recording, it's like not everybody is an expert on sex. So, I know that some people listening, they might feel themselves cringe, and I trust that maybe that's an indicator for them that maybe they're not fully comfortable. What what are your thoughts on people who are listening to the episode and cringing at all? Like, what does that mean sexually for them? Well, I think the most important thing that I want to share is it's totally normal and totally okay if you are dying a little bit (laughs) inside right now thinking about listening to the rest of this podcast. Um, You know, I like to be really upfront with my clients and the people I work with that sex is something that's challenging for all of us. We all have hangups about sex. So I'm really transparent about the fact that I'm a sex therapist. I do this for a living. I've been doing this for over 15 years and I have my own hang-ups about sex. I have things that I am still struggling with and working on. So it's super important to me to normalize that it's just tricky for everybody and that's okay. So helpful. Okay, so I know a lot of boss babes are listening. In fact, one of my girlfriends created boss babes, so they're definitely listening. And I, I feel like I know that a lot of women are working really hard in their career. They want magical love. And a lot of them, especially the ones that are 
you know, tapping into their masculine energy in their career, they might not feel like their man can keep up with them or maybe they feel like they need a man who is more powerful than them. Like, what are your thoughts on those sorts of dynamics when it comes to dating and relationships? I think there are a lot of really interesting dynamics that come up around that. Um, we have a lot of women these days who are bucking traditional gender roles, and that's awesome and amazing. And I think sometimes we can feel a little bit more of a conflict around that when it comes to our romantic relationships and in the bedroom. So, you know, I can just speak for myself. Growing up, I had a super, super feminist mother and father. Both, you know, really encouraged me that I could do whatever I wanted with my life. My mom was definitely definitely the pants wearer of the family. She was kind of that more traditional masculine role who is, you know, the things that we stereotypically think of, like being more in charge and, you know, more in control of stuff. And so, you know, for me personally, that was always an, a really interesting dynamic growing up where on the one hand, I looked for partners that could, that were comfortable with me being successful and ambitious and really driven. Um, and on the other hand, also still wanting to feel a little bit of that stereotypical masculine energy. And I think that was a really a challenge for me. Like, is that okay for me to want a partner who has some stereotypical, you know, masculine elements to him? I don't want somebody who's, you know, this crazy alpha male, like pickup artist, <laughs> and, you know, that kind of thing. But I want a man who feels like a man to me. And so, you know, that just brought up lots of really interesting and challenging questions for me. And I know from my clients and women that I'm speaking with that it's something that feels really tricky for a lot of other women too. And, you know, I also think that we live in a world where there's so many amazing women who are, you know, like you said, they're blazing trails, like they are fearless and they're stepping in. And I've had a lot of girlfriends who I kind of watch their relationship dynamic where because they push so hard and work, they found a partner that is supportive and is kind. But I notice that sometimes they'll emasculate their partner. And I'm curious what you think this is really about or how relationships get to that point where, you know, the woman might be emasculating the guy and what that looks like to you. Yeah, to me, I think that that boils down to a lot of confusion about the roles that you want to play in your relationship and how you each want to play with your masculine and feminine sides. We all have both sides um, and, you know, they come out in different ways with different partners. And so I think a lot of women... You know, a lot of women who are, if they're really used to being super driven and successful outside of the bedroom, it's very easy to still be in that mode when you get home at the end of the night, where maybe you're used to leading a really big team and being, uh, you know, telling everybody what to do, being super clear with people, they're relying on you, you know, and you come home and it's, it can be hard to shake out of that role that you're playing. Um, on the other hand, I also work with a lot of women who are boss babes, you know, in their day to day lives and then they come home and they want to be super super submissive very stereotypically feminine you know having a man really take care of them and it works the same way with men you know you'll see a lot of high-powered men who love to be dominated in the bedroom so it's it's just very you know lots of different ways that that configuration can play out but I think what it boils down to is trying to be clear with yourself and your partner about the sorts of roles that you want to play in your relationship and what's going to feel good for both of you. 
And I'm curious, you know, as a sex therapist, you probably see people for all sorts of different reasons. And I would love to hear like, what are some of the most common things that people come in for? Because I think there's a lot of shame around sexuality and people feel like something's wrong with them or it's an indicator that their relationship has a problem when really they're just human. So I'm curious, like what's going on in your office or what are some of the most common things that you're seeing right now? For women, by far and away, the most common issue that they come in with is wanting to learn how to orgasm. So that has become my specialty, and I really love working with that. And again, I I work with a ton of women who are super ambitious, intelligent, successful in life, and they haven't figured out how to have an orgasm. And that can be a huge source of shame for them that, you know, how can I have every other aspect of my life totally together? And this is this one area that I'm really struggling with. So I love working with that topic because it just brings up so much interesting stuff about how we live our lives and our femininity and how we approach sex as women. So it's super interesting. Mm. Um, With men, the most popular topic is performance anxiety. So a man who's just, you know, feeling super high anxiety during sex, having a hard time um, with his erection or his orgasm. Mm. And then with With couples, by far and away, the most popular topic is keeping the spark alive in a relationship, especially a long-term relationship. So again, it's really important for me to normalize that these are things that so many people are struggling with. And pretty much every couple at some point or another is going to have to deal with the spark, feeling like it's kind of dying out or going away altogether. So this is stuff that's so common, and it's really important for us to realize that we're human. We all struggle with this and that's okay. And I love that because I also think that a lot of people, like, for example, I would love some statistics. Like, could you kind of paint a picture of like, how common is it for a woman or a man to struggle with an orgasm or how, what percent of men suffer from, you know, performance anxiety or how many couples go through this? Like, I'm so curious to kind of grasp the magnitude because I think some people are listening and they're like, you know what, that that's a bummer that some people go through this, but it's not going to happen to me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. With couples with, uh, with keeping the spark alive, I would honestly say that 100% of couples are going to struggle with this at some point in their lives. So you can have amazing chemistry and just have so much fun together in the bedroom, but life happens. You know, one of you might get really sick or might have some sort of injury. Somebody's parent might pass away. You might go through a difficult period at work. There are so many different things that can rattle us and can really affect our sex lives as well as, you know, the rest of our lives. So pretty much every single couple is going to go through this at one point or another. Um, With performance anxiety and orgasm, it's unfortunately really hard to get accurate up-to-date statistics um, because we just don't have nearly enough research money going into topics around sex. Um, For female orgasm, I would estimate that somewhere around 25 to 30% of women have never had an orgasm, but that's a very, very rough estimate just based on my own personal experiences. Mm. And with performance anxiety for men, that's another thing that all men are going to experience at one time or another. So it might not be something that is an ongoing issue, but they're going to have at least one experience of their body not doing what they want it to. So interesting. Okay. 25 to 30%. That is such a big percent and probably really comforting for some people who are listening. And 
I know the first step in how to keep the spark alive we kind of talked about before we started recording being understanding your own likes and desires. And I feel like this idea of orgasm goes in with this where it's like, you know, understanding your body. Um, and so I'm curious before we even jump into how to keep the spark alive, what are some of the blocks that you think are the reasons that a woman can't orgasm? And how have you managed to create success in supporting them and being able to connect to their body in this way and release that? Oh, there are so many. We could do a whole podcast. I know. This. <laughs> uh, yeah, there. Are, unfortunately, there's a lot stacked against us ladies when it comes to learning about our bodies and how to experience that peak pleasure. So for most women, um, the, even the idea of exploring our bodies on our own feels really shameful. Um, like it's something that we're not supposed to be doing. It feels kind of icky or weird. A lot of women tell me, you know, I don't even get turned on by the idea of of trying to touch myself or be more in tune with my body. So that's a huge one that comes up for so many women. Um, another one is just, you know, general negative beliefs about sex. Um, so again, we all have our hangups. We all have things that uh, make us cringe about sexuality in general. And those things can really be, you know, big blockages as well. Then the other two main categories of blockages that I typically talk about with my clients are mental blockages. So those are things like being able, um, being unable to stay focused and present in the moment. Like you're thinking about your grocery list and like needing to go pick up the dog food <laughs> instead of being present in the moment. And then the second main category is body blockages. So that's how you feel about your body. And, you know, we women have been socialized to be so ashamed of our bodies and about our genitals in particular. You know, we have very strict guidelines that we see in the media of what our bodies are supposed to look like and what they're not supposed to look like. And so a lot of us really struggle to feel at home in our bodies or to even feel that desire to explore our bodies. You know, most of us have very complicated relationships with our bodies. So it can be hard to, you know, you, you kind of walk through your whole day just thinking all these negative thoughts about your body. I hate my thighs. My breasts are too small. My stomach is jiggling. I'm so disgusting. You know, and then you get into the bedroom room and, and trying to make that switch into being present in the moment and enjoying your body can be so difficult for so many women. And, you know, I'm, I'm so curious, just kind of learning from you and listening to you. Like some couples kind of feel like they just have that passionate spark and others don't. Um, and I'm curious, like sometimes it's probably that there's work to be done and we can go through these five steps you gave me on how to keep the spark alive other times they just don't have it and so I'm kind of curious like what do you think is up with some couples just having this like magic electric chemistry and other ones who don't got it so I think that that with chemistry people tend to make one of two major mistakes so the first mistake is we end a relationship if we don't immediately feel that spark with somebody like from the first kiss maybe the first time you sleep together if you're not feeling it you're out of there and then the second mistake is the complete opposite extreme which is where people will stay in a relationship with somebody for years or even decades when it's clear that there's no spark there's no chemistry they've never enjoyed being intimate with each other they've never 
ever enjoyed even simple things like kissing each other or touching each other. So I see those mistakes being made on opposite ends of the spectrum. And I think that we all need to find our way into the middle ground a little bit more here. So the belief that I operate under is that chemistry is something that we create. So I think we have a certain potential with every person that we meet, but I think it's something that we have to work on to really fully flesh out and maintain. So for example, you know, let's say you go on a first date with somebody and you can just tell like right from that first 20 seconds that you sat down with them, like there's something about this person. I'm into this. I'm here. This is great. And then you could have a different date the next day. And in those first 20 seconds, you're just like, God, something feels off about this. It's just not right. There's nothing I can point to about this person. Like they didn't say or do anything wrong. There's nothing objectively wrong with them, but I'm just not like feeling any sort of connection to them. Mm -hmm. So we definitely have different kinds of potential with different people. But again, my belief is that chemistry is something that we have to create and work on and maintain. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to, you know, immediately be mind-blowing, incredible, you know, right from the very, very get-go, um, it's something that we work on. I've also get it to that heard in personal development that, ma like, magical electric chemistry can be a bad sign. So I'm also curious to hear kind of the flip side of, do you see it as an indicator if somebody has, like, a crazy spark from the beginning that it could be something bad? It's hard to say. Um, I, I've definitely heard those schools of thought as well. And I think that tends to come up more with our our chemistry, um, not necessarily our sexual chemistry, just feeling a certain pull towards somebody. So it's just so varied, though. I couldn't say that, you know, if you have good chemistry with somebody right off the bat, that's a bad sign. I would definitely never say that. But there are some cases where you might feel a certain kind of pull towards somebody who's not actually the best person for you. I mean, that's the whole allure of like the bad boy, right? That you know he's not right for you. You know you're not on the same page, but you still feel that pull towards him. And I know, I think that a lot of people, they're attracted to things that are familiar to them, you know, like from their upbringing, their childhood. Um, and I also just really resonated with what you said about how sometimes people have shame around sex, because I think a lot of people might have grown up in a household where their parents weren't comfortable with sex and they could pick up on that. So I'm kind of curious to understand, like, where do you think people's discomfort come from or what are some of the commonalities you're seeing in people's upbringing that they carry with them throughout their lives? We can pick up stuff from a lot of different places, unfortunately. So for most people, um, their family, you know, anything that your family said growing up about sex, if your parents ever talked to you about sex at all, or if they gave you certain messages, like, you know, girls aren't supposed to masturbate, or you have to save yourself until marriage, or, you know, sex is sinful, you'll, you're definitely going to pick up on those messages. Um, you can learn stuff from your friends. So people always have you know, stories of, of uh, rumors that you heard on the playground and things that your friends told you about sex, that can really affect you. Your community in general, if you're part of a religious community, if you go to church, um, or if your community in general tends to be more conservative, you can definitely pick up on a lot of, um, you know, blockages and beliefs that way. And then there's just society in general. I mean, you, all you have to do is 
crack open a magazine, watch 10 seconds of a TV show or a movie, like you're getting so many messages about sex. So it's pretty much impossible for anybody to fully escape that unless you want to grow up in the woods, you know, raised by wolves kind of thing. Like you're going to get hangups about sex in one way or another. Mm, So interesting. And so kind of going back to how to keep the spark alive, I know we were going to start talking about your own likes, your own desires, but Kind of adding on to this topic, um, if we made step number one, understanding chemistry should be work on and not to prematurely ending the relationship, but we started there. I'm curious just to understand some of the indicators that it's workable versus it's not, because like you said, there's those two extremes. So I know ladies right now, and you're cool, evolved gentlemen too, who are listening, you know, they're curious, right? Like they're dating or maybe they're in a relationship right now and they don't feel the chemistry and maybe they never did. What are some indicators that's workable versus it's not, you know, because sometimes you meet somebody and it's kind of like, this is never going to move. And other times it's a total shock. And I'm always kind of trying to figure out like, when, at what point are you wasting your time in your relationship or in a dating situation where it's like, this just isn't there. Um, How do people kind of get connected to themselves with this? That's a great question. And I think it comes down to one key characteristic to look for in a partner. Are they willing to work on sex as well? So that I, that one characteristic is what's going to carry you throughout being able to have an entire lifetime of a healthy and active and super passionate and exciting sex life if you're willing to work on it, as opposed to somebody who thinks that this should just happen naturally. It shouldn't require any sort of effort or communication whatsoever. So you can gauge that in, in a bunch of different ways. Um, one might be, what's it like when you try to give some feedback to your partner? So if you say, you know, hey, this is the way that I really like to be kissed or could you try, you know, rubbing my shoulders or, you know, if you give them something specific, how does your partner respond to that? Do they jump right on it? And they're like, cool, great. Yeah. Let me kiss you like that. Um, or do they get defensive? Do they get even aggressive or kind of angry about it? Um, a lot of times I hear from my female clients, um, that their male partners will say something like, well, but I've tried that before with all of my past partners and they've liked it. Yes. You know, that's a really, it's not the kind of reaction that you want to get <laughs> from a partner. Uh, so you, okay. yeah, kind of trying to gauge, gauge them in that way. Is this something that they take a joy in, you know, working on with you and exploring with you? Or does this feel like somebody who's really set in their ways who, you know, maybe hasn't done their own work yet and they don't really understand that this is something that requires effort, but that's definitely what you want to look for. Can this person be a team? teammate with you in creating a great sex life. Mm, And kind of taking it a couple steps back before the relationship. So let's think about dating and, you know, like if I had a penny for every girlfriend that's like, I should set you up with my brother or my friend. And (laughs) it's like, you know, maybe you'll see a picture of them and your, you know, your vag will be like, no, (laughs) this is not, I'm not going (laughs) to have sex with that person. Or like, I'm not feeling it. Like, where do you gauge that line of like, you know what, let me, and to me, I feel like attraction is so many things, like their voice, the way they carry themselves, all the things. But I'm curious to understand like where that limit is, because I know there's a lot of women out there dating and men out there dating and they want to be optimistic. And if, if so-and-so has an amazing friend, that's really special, it's like, okay, wow. Well, you know, I need, I want to marry somebody that's an amazing person, but they look at the person. They're like, I'm just not feeling it. Like how much do you try until it's like, okay, you're just not feeling it. 
That's such a good question. It's Yeah, it's a really big challenge for so many people trying to suss out if there's enough potential there with somebody. So first, I would think about it just from that point of the word potential. So I think so often, especially if we're getting excited about dating or on the other end of the uh, spectrum, if we've been dating for a long time and we're getting really frustrated and just bummed out about it, um, it's very easy to to want to make a a split second decision about somebody. We're busy. You know, we don't want to waste our time with people that there isn't going to be something there with. So it's an understandable reaction, but I think it's important to take a step back and, and look at it through that lens of, could I see potential with this person? So maybe this person is not blowing me out of the water from the very first picture of them I've seen or the very first, you know, 30 seconds of this date, but could I see that there might be potential there? So I think, you know, when it comes to dating, I think meeting someone in person is almost always worth it unless there are any huge red flags. You know, let's say you're looking at their dating profile and you're just, they've said offensive things or, you know, you just know, like, this is not a person I even want to take the time to meet. That's fine. But for anybody that you think, hmm, okay, maybe, uh, if there's some sort of potential there, then I think it's worth meeting people in person because just what you were saying, you know, that we can tell so much from somebody by how they carry themselves, their voice, their body language, how they treat other people. So attraction is, is so much more than just looking at a picture on your cell phone. Mm. So I'd say, you know, meet someone in person. And then from there, you know, if you're feeling enough potential to try being physical with them in some way, there's definitely a delicate balance to walk of you don't want to push yourself to do something physically with your body that you don't want to do. So if you're not feeling a connection to somebody, you're not feeling safe with that person, do not force yourself to have sex with them just to see if there's the potential there. Mm. Um, So, you know, you want to pay attention to your own gut instincts and your own boundaries around that. Mm. Um, And at the same time, maybe see if, if you feel open to exploring that potential with them. So maybe it's, you know, you just want to give a hug at the end of the date and see how that feels for you or a kiss at the first, you know, the end of the date. Um, so you want to try giving them a chance if you're feeling that potential there. Um, but again, not pushing yourself, um, beyond what you feel comfortable with. You know, this has been such an interesting topic for me and my friendships because I have a really good friend and he got out of marriage where the sex, you know, like the passion died and he is now I'm noticing prioritizing women who are beautiful, like oddly, unicornly, if that's a word, beautiful. <laughs> and he's, you know, I mean, he's literally looking at, you know, when, when I look at women, I'm like, wow, that's the cream of the crop. Like she's got abs. She goes to yoga every day. She, you know, has the perfect skin, the perfect hair, all the things. And he's your everyday average guy. And so I'm kind of curious, like, what is it about when people are, oh God, it doesn't feel right to say, wanting a partner whose looks are kind of out of their league because that's not what I'm trying to say it's more just like focusing on it to the point where maybe they're blind or like putting attraction so high up like what's that really about when people want a partner that's like so hot and so good looking that they're kind of blind to everybody else I think that might boil down to trying to simplify things because attraction is complex and it can be really frustrating being out there in the dating world and trying to find someone who feels like a good fit for you. And I think a lot of times people just 
try to simplify things and just look at, you know, the, uh, the surface of things. I mean, that's why dating apps are so popular because it gives us such a simple way to yes or no on somebody. So that I think for me is usually what I think it tends to boil down to somebody who's just lost, (laughs) lost the energy or the motivation to consider people in their full, you know, the full spectrum of that person rather than just one dimension of them. Mm, Great. And so, you know, now that we've kind of talked about like chemistry is created and it's something to be worked on, um, what about understanding your own likes and desires? Step two, or it could have been step one, is understanding yourself. What do you have to say as it relates to keeping the spark alive um, and someone really taking a look at who they are, what they like, what they desire? Yeah, it's so important for us to explore our own sexuality before we get into a relationship. I think a lot of people, we expect that our partner or our relationship will sort of illuminate everything for us. So I was saying to you earlier, a lot of women, we have this fantasy of the knight in shining white, you know, shining armor, like riding in on his white horse and, you know, rescuing us and saving us. And there's a similar kind of dynamic around sex too. Um, Another way of thinking about it is, you know, everybody wanted their own Christian gray after the whole 50 shades thing a few years ago, you know, somebody that could just take the lead in the bedroom who just magically knew everything that you wanted and could just do it without you even having to think about the fact that you wanted it, uh, much less having to ask for it. So I think a lot of us women, we have these fantasies in the back of our heads of a partner who just will magically know exactly what to do. And the truth is that that's just not how sex works in the real world. It's not how relationships work in the real world. Um, It's important for us to get a sense of, you know, what we like and what we want to explore and what we're curious about and what brings us pleasure on our own. And, you know, I I think a lot of women start to feel let down when I talk about this and think like, oh, but it would just be so nice to have somebody do it for me. Um, But the, the reality is that when you feel really in tune with your own sexuality, when you feel like you know who you are as a sexual being and you know how your body works and what it needs and you feel connected to yourself, there is nothing better than that feeling. It's so empowering. It's so enlivening. It makes you feel like a vibrant person and it attracts people to you as well. Mm. So if you're feeling at all let down about what I've just been saying, just to think about what it could really be like and how it could affect all areas of your life, not just your romantic relationships, but think about what it would be like to have that kind of confidence, you know, at work. Think about what it would be like to have that kind of confidence and carry yourself in that certain sort of way, like with your friends and family, like it could really change a lot of different things about your life. Mm. Mm, this actually makes me curious to ask you about the brain and like, you know, like I know that sex is linked to the same place as creativity is what I've heard. So I'm curious kind of from a scientific standpoint, you know, like if you could paint any sort of picture about what sex does um, in your body and in your mind and in your neurology. Sex has a lot of incredible benefits, um, and orgasm has a lot of incredible benefits as well. So they're always um, they're doing a lot of different studies trying to connect, you know, sex and orgasms with different things, and they have found some incredible connections. Things like um, being turned on and having sex can increase your pain threshold, which you know you would just how, like how are those two things related? It's really crazy to think about. It can um, increase the functioning of your immune system. It can improve your mood. It can take headaches 
headaches and migraines away. It can relieve menstrual cramps. Um, so there are just so many amazing benefits uh, to sex, to masturbation, to orgasm. So it's definitely something that uh, should be a part of all of our lives. Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, our e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, and you'd like to try a free version of our job hunting course, just head on over to uturnpodcast.com slash job offer. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash job offer. Now let's get back to this week's episode. You know, how does a woman or a guy, like anybody listening right now, who wants to understand their own likes and desires, how do they kind of get started in doing that? Because I I guess, you know, like masturbation is one way, I'm guessing it feels intimidating for somebody who doesn't know what their likes or desires are, or maybe they're in their relationship and things aren't working, but they don't know how to talk to their partner about it because they don't really even know what to ask for. It's like, how do they get started in that relationship with themselves? So the first thing that you need to do is get in a mindset of curiosity. So a lot of women, and again, women who are super accomplished and successful, a lot of us tend to get into perfectionistic mode. And so we approach sex and our bodies and our likes from the same sort of perfectionistic mode where we feel like we have to figure it all out. And that the goal of this is to be able to hand over to your partner this like 10 point checklist of, you know, here's how to turn me on or here's what I like in the bedroom. Just follow these 10 steps in the series that I've given them to you and all will be great. So this is not at all about that. Instead, This is about being curious. So I'm curious about how my body will respond to my touch. I'm curious about what parts of my body are the most sensitive. I'm curious about what it would be like to try out these handful of masturbation techniques and see which one I like best. I'm curious about what it might be like to try on different kinds of lingerie or to try reading erotica or to take care of my body in this, you know, certain sort of way and see what happens. So it's not about figuring things out. It's not about perfectionism. It's about being curious about ourselves and our own experiences. So that's where I would start. Okay. So helpful. And I know that, you know, people might be a little uncomfortable, you know, getting curious, like even the the fun energy that came with you saying, get curious. I can imagine some people listening are like, ah, so, <laughs> you know, like, holy shit, you know, so, yeah. um, you so know. if you're interested in masturbation in particular, if you've never had an orgasm or if you've never enjoyed masturbation, you can definitely head on over to my website. I have a free guide to the best way to have your first orgasm where I talk about some, um, research that has been done on specific masturbation techniques and share those techniques with you. So you can download this guide for free. Um, I'm really big on being very detailed and practical and actionable when I work with clients. So I know that that idea of like, just go explore, you know, that sounds scary to a lot of people because a lot of people go to, well, but I don't even know what it is that I'm supposed to explore. So in my work, I like to give people specific, tangible things. So you have some guidelines to follow. So that guide is a great guide to check out. Um, I definitely recommend going over my website and checking it out. Great. That's helpful. And you know, it's so funny. I come from a very open group of girls. So, 
you know, like for the holidays, one of my girlfriends knows that I love cake and I have a ghostwriting house called Cake Publishing. And she, you know, literally got me red velvet cake flavored lube. So it's like I <laughs> come from the most, you know, and they were kind of joking around, obviously. But it's like I come from such an open group of friends, but I didn't come from an open household. I came from a household where if sex was on TV or if it was being put on, you know, a movie screen when we were all going to the family movies, I could feel my family cringing. Um, what do you think are some of the early situations that make it so uncomfortable? Like, what are some commonalities that you see? You know, like, for example... Um, like, I think a lot of people's dad had porn hanging out around the house. And I'm wondering, is it that the porn was there or that it wasn't discussed or how it was discussed? Like, is there any sort of commonality you're finding about what blocks or people who have a lot of blocks are experiencing? You know, there are just so many ways that we can get messages about sex as young kids that sometimes it sort of it's, it feels hard to know, like, what's the exact right thing to do as a parent? Um, because sometimes, you know, your kid's going to see something, they're going to be exposed to something and, you know, you could freak out and then that's going to give them some sort of reaction or you could talk about it with them too much and then that's going to, you know, create some sort of reaction in them. So sometimes it can feel really hard to navigate exactly how to manage these sorts of moments. But for a lot of people, um, yeah, seeing exactly what you were describing, seeing sex scenes on movies and having people, you know, parents switch the channel really quickly, that can be a big one. Um, accidentally finding porn or lingerie or sex toys around the house, walking in on your parents is another super common one. Um, my, my biggest memory from my childhood was my parents trying to give me the talk and being really awkward and uncomfortable about it you know that left a lasting impression on me and that ended up being the reason why I decided to be a sex therapist for a living so there are just so many so many different ways that we can end up getting messages about so many sex. beautiful ways for us to all get traumatized totally yes. um, yeah and you know you said make it a priority in your life so number one for those of you taking notes understanding that chemistry can be created um, and then also number two, understanding your own likes and desires. So seeing it as an experiment, seeing it as an exploration to get curious. And then number three, Vanessa, you said was making it a priority in your life. So can you talk a little bit about that, especially because I know somebody listening right now, maybe they're thinking like, I'm not that sexual. So I would love to also hear about the, the stories people tell themselves about their sexual appetite and what you see is true and what's not true. Oh, that's a great question, too. Yeah, so starting with this idea of prioritizing sex, I think it falls into what I was saying earlier about the fact that so many of us, we expect that our sex lives will just work, that they, you know, we should just have hot, passionate, satisfying, amazing sex just magically without any sort of effort involved, any sort of communication. It just is supposed to happen. And I think that's a way that most of us really kind of divorce ourselves from our sexuality. Like sex is just something over there that happens. It's not something that I fully take ownership of and I make things happen with it. So the idea that I was talking about is 
is really trying to make sex a priority in your life if it's something that is important to you. So most of us, you know, we schedule meetings, we schedule appointments that we have. If there's something important in our life that we want to make sure we show up for, we prioritize it and we make sure we carve out that time and we make that thing happen. But because so many of us are feel so uncomfortable around sex, we don't make that same sort of effort with our sex lives. So it's, you know, Wednesday at night, you guys have had long days, you ordered takeout, you're crashed out in front of Netflix and you're both falling asleep on the sofa and you kind of like look over at your partner and and start to feel bad about, you know, what happened to the passion? Where did it go? You know, what's wrong with our relationship? And it's, well, when in that day did you prioritize you and your partner having time for each other and being able to connect with each other? So there are a lot of different ways to do this, um, but the general idea that I think we all need to get on board with is that our sex life is something that we work on. We don't just rely on it to work. Mm. So we make that effort to make it a priority in our day, mm. uh, make it something that we you know that we work on with our partners. We make that time to connect with them. Mm. So going back to what you said about a lot of women, you know, telling ourselves stories about oh I'm just not a sexual person. So first and foremost, I want to say. Some people genuinely are not sexual people. Um, there are, you know, asexuality is a thing or sex is just not something that's super important to you. That's perfectly okay. As long as you're making that decision for yourself, you know, where you feel, hey, I know myself. I know that sex just is not a super big priority to me or I'm not interested in it at all. That's okay. Um, on the other hand, though, I do hear those kinds of comments from women who will also tell you that, oh, God, will I miss those days in, you know, in my early 20s where I just felt you know, so much desire for sex. Sex just felt so easy. It was so passionate. It felt so good. And so these are women who have, you know, over time, shut themselves down by creating this story that, oh, I'm just not a very sexual person. So if that's the case for you and you realize, you know what, I, I miss feeling sexual or I want to feel sexual for the first time in my life, then that that loops back around to this idea of prioritizing it, that you have to recognize this as something that you are willing to prioritize and work on. Mm. And you can definitely get yourself back to that place of feeling like desirous of sex, having a lot of fun with it, feeling a lot of passion and pleasure. It just has to start with that, that original idea of being willing to prioritize it. Yeah, this I think is a really tough one because I have some friends who they want to have sex, like the way they talk about their sex drive, it's like more than once a day. And I'm like, girl, you gotta, you gotta go to your job. You gotta like clean the dishes. (laughs) So I'm also curious, you know, like what is it about if somebody wants sex all the time? Does it just mean that they have a high sex drive? Um, And what does it mean when, like, and what also I would love to know, and I know there's no such thing as normal, but what do you see as typical um, for like a healthy sex drive when you're talking about, you know, so many clients that are coming in and out, what do you like to see? So um, I'm going to bum you out with this response, but there really genuinely is no normal. Um, I have never seen, you know, any sort of consistent pattern across people or couples where I could say, well, you know, if it's twice a week, for some reason, most people seem to have it in their heads that twice a week is this normal frame. (laughs) But I just really have not seen that. People are so varied in what they like and enjoy and desire. And so my personal perspective is, you know, whatever makes you happy, whatever makes makes you happy, do you? So, you know, it's interesting because I think when we go to the the side of people who want sex a lot, 
you know, yes, sex definitely can be used in unhealthy ways. Some people use it as a coping mechanism to deal with, you know, deeper emotions or issues that are going on. But there are also a lot of people out there who just naturally have a really high sex drive. And I think a lot of people, I, I hear the same sorts of responses that you just said, like, well, but don't you have to go to work? And, you know, you, you have yeah. to do stuff. You know, I think a lot of us are really afraid to, to say, like, sex is a priority in my life. And I'm willing to, you know, um, like, be really clear with my bosses about what my hours are and what reasonable expectations are so I can get home to my partner and we can have some time to have sex. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I'm going to hire a house cleaner so that I get that extra couple of hours back a week that I can spend with my partner. Mm. So it's totally fine for us to, you know, to make decisions about our lives that that create more space for us to have lots of sex. Mm. Um, but again, there really genuinely is no normal. And I think people tend to overly fixate on the numbers aspect of it because, again, it's such a complex issue. We like want to boil it down into something really easy and, and tangible, like, oh, as long as I'm doing it twice a week, I'm fine. Um, but hate to break it to you. There just is no, no normal that works for everyone. Well, so then I guess I'm curious about compatibility with it because I know that I've, you know, I've had so many different experiences, you know, like I have had relationships where I have more desire for somebody and then less desire for somebody. Um, and I'm also curious just from a lot of girlfriends who talk to me about how they wanted a certain amount and their partner doesn't. And sometimes it doesn't really feel like it's an attraction issue. It just feels like an appetite issue. And so I'm curious, like, how do people work that out or reconcile that difference where maybe the girl wants it a lot and the guy wants it every now and again? Like, at what point are one of them abandoning what they really want in a relationship because there's a disconnect around sex? Like, I'm curious to learn from you and for everybody listening, you know, who as they're dating or as they're in a relationship to kind of capture this idea of sexual compatibility. Yeah, this is such a huge topic and definitely trips a lot of people up. So I think this is another area where most of us tend to get overly fixated on the numbers. But again, because it's so complex, we're like looking for something really specific and concrete to boil it down to. But I like to talk to couples about the quality of the sex that they're having rather than the quantity. And what I find is usually that there's an issue going on with the quality of it, where one partner isn't in enjoying the experience. There's not as much in it for them. They're not being upfront about their desires or their needs. They're not communicating or giving feedback. So for some reason or another, they're, you know, just not having sex that feels good to them and feels really craveable and like something that, you know, they want to keep doing. So oftentimes when I work with couples, if we can address the quality issues, the quantity just sort of naturally falls into place, that they end up feeling much more on the same page. And even if they're not feeling the exact same amount of desire at the exact same moments, that they feel more like a team and being able to work with each other and find compromises with it. So another big piece of this is being a little more creative with sex. A lot of us get into routines and ruts around sex where we just, you know, we do the same thing over and over again. Not only does that lead to decreased desire, because why would you feel desire for something that's so routine and predictable and probably boring? Um, But it also, you know, if you guys can get more creative with your sex life, there are ways that you can still connect even if one person's not feeling desire. So maybe it's, you know, that 
one partner isn't feeling open to intercourse, but they'd be fine with oral sex or they'd be happy to watch some porn with you while you masturbate or, you know, you guys can kind of tag team touching one person, you know, so there are a lot of ways to be creative and make sure, sure you both feel fulfilled, even if you're not feeling the exact same desire for the exact same things in the exact same moment. Mm, got it. And what are some indicators that it's time to part ways? Like, I think some people listening right now, they're feeling their body kind of quiver as they're driving in traffic, listening to you and I talk about sexual compatibility and they're thinking, okay, yeah, but I don't know if we can work this out. Um, what are some kind of, yeah, like some signs that, Hey, this isn't workable. By far the biggest one is if it's not something that they're willing to work on with you. So, you know, if you've tried to talk to your partner about your sex life, tried to open some, you know, healthy conversations, if you've tried suggesting sex therapy um, or, you know, reading a book together or something like that, and your partners just consistently shut you down, that's a, that's a sign that it's probably time to move on. So with that one, I would give your partner a couple of times because again, sex is hard for all of us. It's really, vulnerable to have your partner come to you and say, you know, I'm not feeling satisfied with our sex life. So it's understandable if your partner doesn't respond in the greatest way the first one or two times. But if you're persistent with it and, you know, make sure that you're having good communication and you keep bringing it up and you're just getting nothing from your partner, then that's a sign that, you know, this is just something that your partner's not willing to work with you on and they're probably not going to be a good, a good partner for you. So I know it brings up some really painful situations and conversations, but it's important. You know, sex is an important part of relationships and, you know, it's, it's important for you to stand up for what you need in a relationship. If your partner's not willing to work on it with you. Moments like this, I'm sitting here listening. I'm like, man, feels good to be single. I don't want to have that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like tough it stuff. It, it definitely is. But, yeah. you know, you don't want to be on that other side of the extreme that I was mentioning earlier, where you've been with somebody for decades of your life and, and have never felt like you guys were on the same page about it it's that's a really hard sad position to be in yeah but what are I mean also just in the early stages what are some indicators because I know working on it and being willing to work on it is a good indicator but you know maybe somebody's on their fourth date and they're like making out or they're feeling some vibes with somebody and or maybe they're having those conversations right now about sex and they're thinking about doing it with a person it's like what are some indicators that maybe it's not workable you know I think another one would be if you guys have wildly different interests in what you want to be doing in the bedroom and what you define sex as. So, you know, as an example, um, let's say you're really into kink and that's a big part of sexual expression for you and your partner's just not interested in exploring some of those things with you. Then, you know, everybody's entitled to their boundaries and it's probably not going to be a good fit between the two of you. So that's definitely a big one. Um, and then also kind of similarly, what you're looking to feel during sex can be another big one. So we all have different relationships with sex. We look for different things out of sex. And sometimes there can be incompatibility in what you're looking for. So if for your partner, it's a very, you know, it's a very serious act. It's very, you know, it's got a, like a somberness to it. They're looking to have like a really, you know, deep, maybe meditative um, kind of connection with you in that moment. And on the other hand, you're 
are someone who's like really playful and goofy and you like to experiment and you like to joke around and kind of laugh with each other in the bedroom, like that might not end up being a great connection because you guys are just looking for such different things out of sex. Got it. Okay. So interesting. And so kind of anybody who's taking notes, I know we've talked about understanding that chemistry can be created. Um, Number two, understanding your own likes. Number three, making it a priority in your life. Um, also what about giving yourself permission to explore? Like, what does that really mean? And how does that look? Because I know you talked about, you know, getting curious. Is that the same thing? Just getting curious about your body and stuff like that? Yeah, I think, you know, with exploration, one thing that I was mentioning is that a lot of women can get into a perfectionistic mind state about it, where they think that the reason that you're you know, exploring is so you can figure everything out and then tell your partner exactly what to do. Mm. And so I, when I'm working with women, I really like to talk a lot about getting into that curious you know, mind state where it's not about right or wrong. It's not about figuring anything out. It's about allowing yourself the permission to explore things. If you're not sure you'll like it, you're not sure what your reaction will be, but you're, you know, you're curious about it and just being willing to be in tune with yourself in the moment and see what it feels like. So, you know, this could be something as simple as like allowing yourself to try a new sex position. A lot of women tell me, God, I don't want to try this position because I don't know how to do it. I don't know how I'm supposed to move my body. I'm a weird, I'm like worried that I'm going to look weird in that position. Like my belly pooch will hang over or something like that. And so the idea is not that you need to know beforehand, I'm going to love this sex position and I'm going to look like a goddess like doing yeah. it. It's just, I'm willing to try this out and see, you know, is this a fun position for me where maybe I'm able to let go of some of the stuff that's going through my head and I'm able to just let myself move how I want to move and I actually end up enjoying it a lot. Or maybe I try the sex position and, you know, we just, like my partner and I, we just can't get it right and we're laughing and it's super funny and it's this like funny story that we get to to tell each other, even though we never try that position again, you know, so it's just about maintaining that open, curious state of mind. So helpful. And I'm also kind of curious, like in the early phases of our relationship, like what does sex do between two people? Because I know some girlfriends have different standards that I talk to where they're like, you know what? I don't want to sleep together because it's going to create this or it's going to create expectations or I'm going to be attached or, you know, like I'm curious what wisdom you have or what insight or even statistics you have around the early stages in sex. Like what do you think happens between two people and what are the meanings that you find some women or men make about it? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, it, there's just so much that can happen around this and it's so individual that I'm sort of struggling to give you some, um, you know, crystal clear, uh, takeaway from it. But, um, I, it's just such an individual experience. I mean, I think it comes down to each of us trying to get clear with ourselves about the role that we want sex to play in our lives and what our, you know, what boundaries we feel comfortable with. So I don't know if I could give you any, yeah, set in stone words of wisdom to follow every single time, but it just more comes down to, um, find, figuring out for yourself, what's going to feel good for you. Got it. Okay. I'm always totally impressed by my girlfriends that are like, we had sex. I left before he 
woke up and I don't care if I ever see him again. I'm like, go girl. I don't know how to do that. So yeah, some people, you know, we, we all just have very different relationships with sex. And if you know that about yourself, that's awesome. Yeah. And if you know that that's a goal that you want to have, that's something that you can work towards as well. But it just all starts with that idea of, of knowing yourself and trying to get clear on what you want. Okay. And then the final step that we have to keep the spark alive is talking about sex. And so I'm curious, like, what does that look like? How does somebody have this kind of conversation? How do they have it in the early stages of dating? How do they have it in the later stages of a relationship? Curious what your thoughts are on those two things. Yeah, so the first point is just it's super important in any relationship that you guys be able to communicate about sex. So this falls back with that same idea I've been talking about a whole bunch of times in this podcast of, you know, sex being something that requires effort and that requires work. It doesn't just happen naturally and magically all by itself. So this idea that it's okay to communicate about sex, not only is it okay, but it's going to make your sex life so much happier and healthier and more pleasurable and satisfying. So I know that this is an area that for so many people is really uncomfortable. Most people have never talked about sex in their entire lives. So, um, you know, I definitely understand the sensitivity that comes up around this. If you have never talked about sex, never even uttered the word out loud in your life, um, I would go back to my same advice about explore on your own first. So this might feel totally silly, but practice talking about sex on your own. You can just look in your mirror, you know, make eye contact with yourself and practice saying a few words or phrases just over and over and over again until it starts to feel a lot more comfortable and a lot easier. So start on your own if you need to, you know, develop that comfort level. And then for a very first conversation with a partner, I usually recommend talking about sex right after you've had sex. So um, a lot of people, when they think about talking about sex, they think about it in the context of talking about problems about your sex life. And of course, that's only going to make it sound much more intimidating. So instead, I think start talking about sex in positive ways. And so after you've just had sex can be a really nice opening to that, where you're not solving any problems, you're not giving any negative feedback, you're just talking in a more positive positive sense about like, wow, that was really fun. I really enjoyed that. I liked when you did, you know, X, Y, and Z to me. What did you think when I did, you know, X, Y, and Z to you? So you can just, you know, make a few comments, ask a few questions, very lighthearted and easy. um, And that'll help you get so much more comfortable with talking about it for the first time. Wonderful. This has been so great. Everybody who's recapping with your notes, because I've been getting DMs on the gram from so many of you who are taking notes. Number one, understand chemistry can be created. Number two, understand your own likes. Number three, make it a priority. Number four, give yourself permission to explore. And number five, talk about it. Um, Vanessa, is there anything else you want to leave everybody who's been listening? Um, And then I want to ask you where everybody can find you. Got it. Yeah. So, I mean, I I guess I just want to say, you know, again, reiterating what I said right at the top here, I know that this stuff is hard and it's a challenge for all of us. But if you can really understand, you know, there's nothing weird with you or broken with you or wrong about you that you struggle with it, like all of us do, myself included. So if you can really normalize it for yourself, that's just going to open up so much more space for you to get into that curious mindset that I kept talking 
talking about. So I know it's easy to be hard on ourselves. I know it's easy to go into perfectionistic mode or to feel embarrassed, to feel broken, to feel all these things. Um, but just recognizing like, it's okay. We're all there with you (laughs) and we can all keep working, you know, working on this and moving forward and taking steps to get slowly more and more comfortable with sex. And at the end of the day, like this is something that's really worth all of that effort. Like think about how good it feels when you have amazing sex with somebody, whether that's, you know, in a more casual sense where it's just super fun and playful and you're getting, you know, everything that you wanted or whether it's in a relationship and you get to feel that like deep intimacy with somebody, that connection, that, that sense of like being lost in a moment with just you and your partner. Like it's so worth it. I know it's hard work. I know it is, but when you really get to have those kinds of experiences, you recognize, all right, that this was totally worth the effort that I put in. Beautiful. Thank you so much, yeah. Vanessa. And where can everybody go to find you and get their guide and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so you can find me at vmtherapy.com. It's v-m-t-h-e-r-a-p-y.com. And um, the free masturbation guide that I mentioned is vmtherapy.com slash best hyphen way hyphen to hyphen orgasm. So it's best way to orgasm with little hyphens in between. Um, And otherwise, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook um, under Vanessa Marin. So I'd love to connect with you there as well. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Hey guys, it's Ash here just reflecting on this week's conversation with Vanessa Marin, um, the sex therapist, about what to do when the spark goes. And I felt a really deep topic on my heart when I was reflecting on this episode and it feels really vulnerable to talk about. But one thing that I'm learning in my relationship is that a lot of the times thoughts are kind of like the weather. They kind of come through your head and it's so important to pay attention to when they repeat themselves and they become a thing versus just a floating through thought that you've believed. And so the difference is that, you know, some days like you're feeling a lot with your partner or in your dating situation, but then the next day it's kind of gone. Um, I think it's so important for us to be responsible with what we feel and how we feel. And I think that starts with being able to determine whether the thoughts we're having are like weather, like little pe- little things, like little rainstorms or little things floating through our mind versus a theme, a pattern, um, a consistent thing. Because when a thought keeps getting repeated, it becomes a belief. And that's when, if there's an issue in your partnership or even in a friendship, Whatever it is, it makes sense to share in some way and become vulnerable and open it up. But other times, we might just have weather floating through our heads, thoughts floating through our heads um, that are, are just thoughts. And that's all part of the human experience. That's all part of the mind. And I bring this up because I was once in a connection with a man that I really loved. And he, I guess for a few days, wasn't feeling as attracted to me. And he ended up just seeming off and I couldn't help but notice it. And I kept saying, you seem off, something's off. And he eventually told me, yeah, I, I don't, I hate that you're asking me because I've been avoiding this and I've been trying to figure out if this is a thing or if this is just a quick moment. And he said, but I'm just not feeling like the same sexual pull towards you. 
as I have. And it was one of the scariest things I'd ever had a guy say to me, especially because I loved this guy. And it took a lot for me to ground in that. And the irony was that a week later, he didn't feel that way anymore. But so I was kind of left traumatized, like, oh my gosh, this is the beginning of the end. And he had moved on. And what ultimately happened in that situation is that he was just having some weather in his head that he ended up sharing with me. And I turned it into a pattern of thought and a belief. And so I think it was so important that we both learned in that relationship that when he has something that he is aware of with me, he might want to give it a a moment to be responsible and to make sure it's really a thing and not just weather floating through his head. So I know that this could seem totally unrelated to this episode, but I think it's so important because if you're losing attraction or if there's a dynamic with your partner, or there's a dynamic with a friend even, you want to make sure that when you come to them, when you talk to them, which you absolutely should always open up the communication, that you're coming from a place of really being rooted in a pattern of thought that you are looking to break, question, or free up. And that starts with making sure that you're not buying so far into your weather and the thoughts flying through your head that might not be true for you, but that you're actually resting with those thoughts and letting yourself observe whether those become continued patterns over an extended period of time so that you can responsibly share something that's actually there and not create damage in your connection. So that's something that I just wanted to share with you um, because it felt present for me listening to this. I'm so honored, as always, that you're listening to the U-Turn Podcast. Thank you so much. Can't wait to hear how this episode was for you. I'm sending you all the love and I wish you a beautiful day. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode.